Welcome to FT Advisors' latest podcast in association with Scottish Widows on the topic of retirement planning in a post-COVID-19 world. My name is Simni Kiriakou and I'm the editor of Financial Advisor and we will be hearing from an esteemed panel what has changed for pension planning, what hasn't, and what advisors and their clients should be doing in both accumulation and decumulation stages as a result of everything that this year has been throwing at investors. Please bear in mind, we're not in our usual state-of-the-art recording studio. It's one of the many things that have changed as a result of the COVID-19 lockdowns and the shift to remote working. Another thing that has changed is our pension projections. Last year, from a personal perspective, I can state my husband and I were finally on track with our investment performance and our defined contribution pensions. Come April 2020, with a crashing of two black swans, the global pandemic and the Saudi-Russia oil price standoff, our annual statements looked pretty bleak with an immediate and sharp shock to the valuations. Now, while uh, we've got plenty of time to recoup any market losses, and thankfully we're both very well diversified, there have been many others who are in DC schemes that just do not have time to wait for the market adjustments in their favour. Um, obviously, people in DC bear all the investment risk themselves. And we've heard many stories of people who were approaching retirement date in March, April, May, or had just entered decumulation when the markets fell. And of course, the uncertainty over what effect sequencing risk might have on portfolios sent many investors into a kind of panic mode. Add to this the drying up of dividends, which have long been a staple of retirement portfolios for the reliability of income and the punishingly low interest rate environment in which we now find ourselves, it's understandable that people and your clients are worried about their financial futures. So what should they be doing with their portfolios, if anything? Obviously, nobody should be making knee-jerk re reactions, or certainly, and advice is paramount. But given the various negative factors hitting investment portfolios at the moment, the eternal quest for income, and the gloomy short-term economic forecasts, what should advisors be considering for their clients? Here to discuss these issues and more are Robert Fordry, Managing Director of Copia Capital, and Robin Kyle, Senior Manager of the Investment Office at Scottish Widows. Thank you both for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Robin, may I start with you, please? COVID-19 is a sort of black swan event everyone theoretically prepares for, but really, could anyone have foreseen the effect it would have on retirement portfolios? I don't think so. I mean, when we think about what's happened this year, the word that's being used a lot is unprecedented, and that, that is particularly true. In the US, we saw the sharpest market sell-off in a three-week period that we've ever had going back to the 1920s, and we've also had one of the sharpest recoveries. If you look at the correlations across asset classes, whether you were in equities, whether you were in bonds, property, or other diversifiers, everything really performed in line. And even, even gold, although it's had a very strong turn since, really struggled in March. So it just underlines how unprecedented this event was and nobody could really have prepared for it. If you look yeah. at a lot of investors in decumulation strategies, you know, typically they'll have a kind of a dynamic volatility system to take some risk off the table as markets decline. But the extent and the speed of the falls made life a bit difficult for these strategies too. And then obviously with some very sharp upward days in the middle of that, it was also tricky. So a very, very challenging environment that we're in just now. Mm, Robert, what would you say is the sort of the effect that the March slump had on those perhaps who are about to retire or just entering into, into retirement? Uh, depending how they were positioned, but I think for the vast majority, it wouldn't have been helpful at all. And I'm, I think there are people out there with genuine concerns particularly if they are just at that point of perhaps switching from 
accumulation. Maybe they were fortunate enough to be in that preservation period, but if they're about to go into the decumulation phase, um, the timing has not been helpful for them, depending how they're structured. I, I would just take out one point that Robin mentioned, though. I I I'm not convinced this was so unprecedented. I mean, the nature of it, the, the perfect storm of what of what happened, how quickly things happened, and obviously COVID-19 you know, it, it is, it is the curveball that's come into this model. But we've seen significant market corrections before. Um, I, I think we were expecting, for other reasons, there to be one, you know, in the lead up through 2020 to probably the US elections. Um, so the fact that it happened, to my mind, was, was not an unprecedented event, although I accept the catalysts of what drove it were unprecedented. Um, but I think also, ironically, the recovery you could use the same phrase has been unprecedented. I mean, we're back, except for the UK equities, uh, property funds, and maybe non-Chinese emerging markets. Uh, most things have pretty much bounced back um, to where they were beforehand. Uh, Matt, I take your point, um, Robert, but obviously we've seen um, markets often react very differently uh, stock markets with institutional investors and very sophisticated investors generally driving uh, trades, they often act very differently to um, the actual economy and to real people and real people's uh, lives and portfolios. I think to many people it, it was unprecedented and we've seen UK GDP fall to, to record lows. Um, we anticipated this might be the case, but this time last year there was no way we would think that we'd ever see this kind of economic slump. Um, so, I mean, Robin, if I can come back to you, what sort of impact might um, this uh, deterioration in GDP have on portfolios now and perhaps what sort of adjustments do you think might need to be made for those in decumulation as a result of the sort of a, the economic uncertainty in which we now find ourselves? Yeah, As I think, you know, when I was referring to unprecedented, I was just talking about the kind of the speed of the declines we've had and, and the speed of the recovery. Mm. But what is now particularly relevant and that, you know, GDP factors into this is that we now have a market where, as Robert said, you know, asset values other than a few asset classes have broadly recovered, whereas we have a picture where economic data is still, you know, particularly challenging. Now, obviously, it's been a pretty bad week for data in the UK. That was the worst GDP print we've had, certainly going back to the Second World War. The jobless data was pretty disappointing on Tuesday as well. So we have a very difficult economic situation, even compared to a lot of our G7 peers. Um, the fall in GDP was about double that of the US. So markets are not necessarily reflecting the economic reality at the moment. And I mm. think that creates a lot of challenges for investors as they grapple with portfolios that in many cases will have recovered quite significantly in value. But when we look out, Robert also mentioned the US election. We have a number of kind of market challenges and we have a number of asset classes where the fundamentals don't necessarily reflect the economic reality. Now, people have talked for a long time about the shape of this recovery. Is it going to be V, U, W, Nike, swoosh, etc.? And I think the most kind of probable scenario is that we have a grind back to economic growth uh, potentially over a couple of years. It's going to take a bit of time for earnings to come back. And so now investors, having been through a very volatile period, kind of have to grapple with portfolio valuations that are, are back looking a bit more sensible but where they are potentially at further risk because of mm. you know, fundamentals not reflected in prices. Absolutely. I mean, Robert, uh, I, I take it you'd, uh, you'd agree with that. I mean, what sort of impact are, are we looking at? What sort of adjustments might people need to be making now um, to reflect these all these sort of uncertain events that uh, we're facing? Well, again, I, I take on board everything Robin just said there. 
perhaps a slightly different perspective on, on the shape of the recovery. Um, there's a lot of money out there at the moment driving the recovery in assets, um, which is the disconnect between where, where GDP has has fallen to. But uh, in the UK, I think UK as an example, I think we do see a continuation of a perhaps quicker than expected short-term recovery, but, but we are much more pessimistic long-term about where things go. I think once the impact in the real economy of unemployment kicks in, um, once there's a fallout in some of the, the businesses that are just not going to survive in the new world order, um, I can see uh, there being a, a fallback into a, a more normal sort of state of slipping into a recession. Mm. So what do you do from an investment point of view? Um, if we're talking about the retirement space, I think one of the struggles people are having is that for a period of time now, if you're focused on income in retirement through that decumulation phase, you're struggling to ever mm. get the returns that you can frankly live on. Um, and I think that is a worry for people. And I think sequencing risk is a major factor there. The question is, is this a catalyst for more people to look at the whole principle of total returns as a, a way of dealing with retirement? In which case the sequencing is less relevant, that there are downturns in the market are less relevant because you're looking at that sustainable investment rate really over a period of time. Uh, and so we're, we're as supporters of such a strategy, we're optimistic that this is a further catalyst of, um, it's very common these days to talk about relying on scientific evidence. Maybe we believe in relying on the mathematical evidence that's out there. Mm -hmm. And for people to begin to trust that there are alternative ways in decumulation rather than just retiring on income. I don't foresee any, you know, immediate or even midterm return to the point where an income investor is going to is going to generate any returns that are sustainable enough to to cover the cost of retirement. And it must be very difficult when you're having to do sort of risk assessments and cash flow modeling. I mean, I don't know if any of the Monte Carlo simulations ever um, would have predicted this kind of environment, maybe they did, but um, I, I don't think any investor was quite prepared for quite prepared for this. And, uh, and plus, we've also seen now so many companies have cancelled or cut their dividends. I think we're looking at just over thirty percent now um, loss of of dividends. Uh, we've got property funds that are closed. Um, possibly the dividends that would normally come from property funds not uh, the income is, is not just going to happen anymore. Um, where do where do we go in this hunt for hunt for income? And I'm thinking of people again, uh, coming back to what you're saying, Robert, particularly in decumulation. I mean, where where does that money come from now? So my fear is that people will will increase their exposure to risk to try and chase the income, and so you're going to get people who would never dream of going to junk bonds suddenly turning up and and buying junk bonds. So so we would take a slightly different approach and and would encourage people to diversify to both income and we will always end up with a bias to income on the retirement side but income but also you know look at, at growth stocks but look at mm. you know well-known growth stocks where you know you can manage the risk you can model the risk you can factor in the volatility that you're getting there um but in the monte carlo simulation in the stochastic modeling i, I mean you know th there would have been examples where where what's just happened would have been modeled i mean the probability would have been applied to that would have been very low yeah. who would have but believed it, it would have been modeled up yeah, but, uh, that, but that's the whole point of the exercise, I suppose, where you look at all that can happen and you factor in a risk probability to it. Um, and, and you then, by taking a total return approach, 
you're you're accepting that over a 25-year period you are going to get extreme events mm. probably not one you'll probably get two or three over that period of time and therefore um you know you you, you just say well that's that's part of my 25-year you, you know looking at looking at my my retirement period uh, and it's just something you, you deal with so you know people will chase income right now and i do genuinely fear that they will go into more risky assets which i think could compound a problem that this short-term um crisis want of a better word has uh, has stimulated yeah robin what do you think about um that then that maybe perhaps people should not chase income not go into junk bonds or the chase the high yield or um slightly more risky or esoteric income but maybe they should actually focus on capital growth um in the early years as as and when they can what do you think of those sort of strategies yeah. i'm in agreement with a lot of what robert said you know in the context of taking a total return approach where when we look at our own portfolio you know there's an emphasis on diversification there's an emphasis on not being overly reliant on one source for your income the problem of hunting for income is nothing new there's a lot been written about it you know ever since back to 2008 as you've seen bond yields decline over a period of years and really this is just exacerbated a number of the challenges that income investors have been facing obviously you know as robert alluded to um you've had high yield bonds kind of been a popular asset class obviously kind of spreads on credit went extremely wide in march that has almost completely recovered and you know these assets are, are potentially not pricing in the full extent of defaults that we're going to see uh, i don't think this is a time at the moment to be dialing up risk Hopefully, you know, with asset classes like property funds, you know, that the picture is starting to look a little bit brighter. But if you look at the dividend futures market, you know, it's, it's still pricing in a pretty pessimistic outlook. So I think it's going to be some time before we see kind of dividends return to normal. I mean, obviously, if you take the UK as an example, some of the major players, BP, Shell, etc., are now having to, you know, significantly revisit the focus of their business. And that's going to impact dividends mm -hmm. for a while. So trying to diversify your income to as many different sources as you possibly can, whether that means making use of some alternative asset classes and also, yeah, an emphasis on a total return approach. Mm. Within this total return approach, obviously people have looked at this um, for retirement planning and thought, well, you know, what a good idea. We'll maybe say like a, a totem rule of thumb, 4%. Um, that'll be your, your income that you can draw down. Be, aware, be very wary of great big drawdowns at the outset. But we've seen people taking income, huge chunks of income, as much as they possibly can from their portfolios at the outset, maybe to help their children or grandchildren on the property ladder. Um, maybe they're thinking about gifting. So they're, they're already thinking of big drawdowns in terms of I'm taking this now out of my capital to give to, to someone else. And then they want to take the 4%. Um, are we going to have to rethink those those strategies maybe encourage people hey do you know what maybe just don't take a big lump sum right now for your kids or grandkids maybe rethink what your priorities were and let's look at a, a longer term game i mean are those the sort of difficult sort of conversations advisors should be having with their clients right now i, I think they are um i think as an, as an individual and you know even I take a personal context, you hit 50 and your, your view of planning, I, I think, changed quite dramatically from my perspective. And you begin to look at what is that capital base you need to live the sort of lifestyle. So I begin to think about in retirement, nowhere near there yet, but in retirement, what do I think is, is my income? And, and the, uh, the unknown that I think is creeping in is you can have a view about what you need to spend annually, 
And you'll think that you know, historically you think, well, that probably declines with age. But of course, now we've got to factor in the costs of actually old age. And there will come a point where, you know, what care facilities do you need? Is the tax regime going to change on old age? Um, so actually, where you, you thought you'd spend less and less, do you now have to think about, do you need a lump sum at the end of life rather than at the 65 and, and hand money over to the children? So I think people have to be more prudent um, at that point they retire and go into decumulation about making sure if they are in that fortunate position, they have a cushion as to thinking about what they do with it. And, and we, we all want to give our children, you know, a leg up if we can do so. Um, but the reality is it's perhaps less generous than it might have been. Um, and I think the total return approach actually lends itself to saying that. I, I, I have no idea in 20 years time uh, what the government might be looking to claw back to pay not only for this crisis and the decline in GDP, but for, for health care um, as we all live that bit longer and you know, every generation is living even longer. Yeah, Robin, this is obviously something Scottish Widows has been um, looking at as well a, 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 across the piece. What, what were your views on this? Yeah, I mean, I you know, obviously in, in terms of the kind of best approach for any individual client, it, it depends on the kind of client themselves and the circumstances and the, the size of their pot. But, you know, pensions as an asset or as an area have changed significantly over the, in the last decade or so as we've moved from the defined benefit to defined contribution. We've obviously also been in a, a kind of pretty low inflation environment over the last 10 years, whereas if you consider one of the consequences to come out of this might be higher inflation. And so therefore having as much of a pot as possible that can continue to grow and protect you against the effects of that um, you know, is, is a positive. Uh, having as large a pot to kind of cover off every eventuality and you know the end of life type situations that Robert alludes to. I mean, ultimately, I think it comes down to the client and advisors will have, you know, the relationship and that knowledge of, of their client's individual circumstances to be able to advise. Um, but yes, it's it's definitely a kind of more challenging question that has been. Mm, absolutely. Robin, can I stick with you now? We've, we've talked quite a bit about uh, the decumulation stage. What about those people in accumulation? I mean, we've got people maybe who are sort of 20, 18, just starting out on their... Um, pension journey, you've got people more of my age <laughs> who, uh, well, let's let's be honest, I'm in my 40s now, so we're starting to uh, think, you know, what should we now be going into? Um, there's a big range of ages and a big range of sort of risk parameters in the accumulation stage. What effect might COVID have on our portfolios? What should we be thinking of doing? So it's it's an incredibly interesting question. I say Robert alluded to it a minute ago, you know, when he was just saying, we don't know how this is going to impact us down the line. How do we pay back all the kind of debt that has been incurred in order to you know, pay for schemes like furlough? What kind of impact does this have on regulation? I mean, ultimately, it looks like the virus is kind of beginning to come under control. But, you know, none, none of us are virologists. We have no idea whether there'll be a second wave whether this is something that will be a recurring feature in society for the next kind of five to 10 years. It looks like it's going to have a significant impact kind of across markets and asset classes, aside from the kind of short term effects, you know, potential further market declines, etc. For some sectors and industries, there's potentially going to be structural shifts. I mean, we're all sitting doing this call at home this morning. Mm -hmm. I think just about every business and you know, kind of fund house that we have spoken to during this has 
suggested that there's going to be an increased emphasis on working from home for the foreseeable future. There may well potentially be less office space. If you look at retail habits, retail spending has recovered quite well, but a significant amount of that has been online, mm. which poses you know, further difficulties for the high street, etc. So there is potential that the way that people invest, uh, you know, impact on indices and asset classes is, is significant and far reaching. With that said, you know, we tend to have a kind of major bear market event once every 10 years or so, if, if you kind of 10 to 12 years, if you go back over the last 100 years. So young people starting out today are investing, you know, have the benefit of a very, very long time horizon. This is not the last kind of black swan event, if you will, that they will see in their career. And so I think that just having that pension in place, it's starting to grow that pot and think about it with a diversified you know, kind of range of assets, um, obviously, depending on your age and stage, is, is the most helpful approach at the moment. Robert? Uh, I agree with Robin uh, in a lot of what he just said there. Uh, uh, people starting out today, um, they need to be encouraged to uh, get on top of their, you know, what their situation is going to be like in retirement sooner rather than later. So they can, mm. they can build that pot. Um, obviously, pension freedoms, you know, it has some good merits, but also I think it, it you know, it, it, it will mean that some people will, will, will take advantage of it, but not in a good way. Um, mm. I, I think the good thing about, ironically, as borders are closing, uh, I think the good thing is that, the, that next generation um, are far more willing to invest um, uh, more globally, which I think is a good thing. I think the more diversification people can build into their portfolios, the better. And, and I think we've seen that in, in this in this market correction. You know, markets have you know, more than I can recall seeing really have diversified tremendously. Um, mm. I mean, just even you know, you know, the UK versus the US, the, the differential in equity performance is remarkable, and. You know, we're seeing a lot of people who have been overweight in the UK have relatively underperformed dramatically compared mm. to those who are more global. So, so I'm hoping people will be willing to be more diversified generally in their portfolios to manage risk. Certainly, be willing to be more global. Um, clearly, the you know the, that era of where emerging markets um, could well outperform uh, developed markets is probably fast approaching right now. Um, and despite all the rhetoric, all the potential trade war between US and China, Chinese markets have done um, extraordinarily well in this period of time, um, which is quite interesting to see. I wasn't necessarily expecting them to do as well as they've done. Mm -hmm. um, but we, 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 it is that education process as well. And maybe it's at times like this where, you know, parents coming towards retirement are much more willing to have conversations about money with their children and about getting prepared for it. And I do know, again, personal experience, but my children, their partners, all the rest of it are, are much more open to talking about, you know, money and pensions mm -hmm. and being sensible about it than I think my generation ever was, where you perhaps didn't have those conversations, um, you know, more broadly. And uh, I think there is a role there for, I know, financial advisors generally, uh, you know, sensibly target people probably from 45 plus maybe because of the internet because of this sort of technology that conversation can you know effectively change and go down the age scale because podcasts like this and other means can get to a new generation who care about it sorry robin yeah no absolutely i i, I absolutely uh, agree with that and in fact i know scottish widows has been doing um 
in workplaces it's been doing sort of uh, zoom calls or teams calls with with employees i know that because the uh, the ft was using it and scottish widows um is is the provider of our one of our schemes and they were really helpful people joining in they're asking questions and that sort of engagement is excellent because it means that ordinary people who might not necessarily either think of getting financial advice or understand about having conversations about money can suddenly ask questions of experts and get those answers um, but I mean if we come back to, to to you Robin in terms of these sort of conversations about money in terms of people saving in terms of young people starting out on accumulation journeys um, do you think that Covid and the economic slump and all the news and noise around it do you think that could be off-putting for young people or do you think that it just might might make them almost scare them into making sure they're saving as much as they can. Well, do you know, it's interesting. I, I was actually going to agree with a lot of what Robert said and about having conversations earlier and trying to stimulate a bit of interest as, as Scottish widows have been doing with these sessions. But what has been interesting is just watching a lot of young people become a little bit interested in the stock market because obviously we had a very sharp slump. We've mm -hmm. had a very kind of sharp rise off the back of it. You've seen a lot of kind of stories with a lot of truth in them some more tongue-in-cheek about you know with no sports to bet on as a result of the pandemic then lots of folk have got interested in stocks and I think if you look at the, the kind of data on user bases of these apps like Robinhood in the US you know the, the increase in users has been phenomenal now that's a slightly different story but what is positive is that young people are starting to kind of get interest, interested in you know how these companies work in how you make money in the markets and while you wouldn't advocate having a, a portfolio of tech stocks for your retirement solution it kind of gets them thinking about you know growth of capital and, and how they protect themselves um obviously economically things are going to be pretty tough i don't think we've seen the worst of the kind of unemployment yet we are obviously going to have a, a pretty significant deficit to try and address in this country over the next few years it's going to make opportunities tougher and it's you know going to make kind of salary increases and, and kind of doing particularly well more difficult so in those circumstances it's particularly prudent to make sure that you're putting some money away for a rainy day because you can't necessarily rely on you know having a, a kind of huge salaries and bonuses that will protect you if you don't save absolutely and of course you know the younger you are the longer potentially longer a time horizon you have and if you're making regular savings you've got the advantage of pound cost averaging and uh, being able to sort of take advantage of market um, twists and turns. But how um, how long lasting do you think these effects might be? I mean, don't forget, we've also got Brexit and climate change, uh, which are kind of almost always in the back of the mind. I mean, it's it's, it's potentially to be, you know, kind of very long lasting. I mean, I, I think, again, when for the first case, it kind of depends on how the virus goes from here. Ultimately, until we have a vaccine, we're going to be living with some uncertainty. Now, there, I think there are six in stage three trials, so hopefully that's not too far away. But we need to assess how quickly economic growth comes back. We, we could be talking a couple of years, hopefully, but it could have, as we alluded to earlier, you know, significant impact on those who are in industries that are subjected to kind of significant structural change, mm. that find themselves redundant, that find themselves having to kind of look for a new career path. And then obviously the, the significant debt burden, you know, the Bank of England has expanded its balance sheet significantly. There is a huge amount of kind of fiscal stimulus and potentially more to come. 
and addressing the effects of that and unless you decide to disregard debt forever which i'm not sure is a, a viable approach is, is going to impact this country for you know the next kind of couple of decades certainly Hmm. But Robin, I mean, given, you know, obviously we have had these market shocks. I mean, I've um, my working life has seen about three or four of them. Um, and I'm sure there'll be at least three or four before um, my working life ends. Those starting their retirement savings journey now, is the advice really any different to what it was pre-COVID? I mean, we've always been told diversify, save as much as you can, as frequently as you can. And, you know, make sure that you just don't dip into it, you know, take advantage of workplace schemes. I mean, these, these seem like very, um, very solid mantras, regardless of whatever happens in, in the world. I mean, do, do these totems still stand, Robin? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the, the kind of more you save, the earlier you get on the journey, as, as we've discussed, that's, um, that's particularly important. A lot of the nuances that we've been discussing this morning around more of a total return approach around the kind of asset classes that you use for income obviously become increasingly relevant later in life whereas arguably if you have a 50-year time horizon you should hold a diversified portfolio of equity um, as the kind of risk asset class that has the potential to kind of perform best over time and then as you go along the path on that journey you kind of introduce increased diversification so the mantras are the same it's really that they just become more important than ever given the kind of economic backdrop we have now robert can i have your views please yeah i, I would agree i think the mantra stays the same i think there are scars that this this pandemic and the crisis will leave so if you were an a-level student yesterday not getting the grades you expected and linking that directly to covid19 if you're new to the job market and suddenly finding you've been furloughed or furloughed and then made redundant as a number will be, have already been and will be in the future, that's going to leave scars. So I suspect that the willingness to follow through on the advice that has been there, but has perhaps been ignored in the better times, I think will be the significant sea change that we will see going forward. And I think it's it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that there are you know, facilities, be it podcasts uh, and other means by which we're, we are making that advice and knowledge available. So. So we don't risk losing this opportunity for, I think, people to do what, what we hope they always do, but haven't necessarily done in the past. Uh, it's avoiding those sort of knee-jerk reactions, isn't it? I mean, whether you're just starting out on your savings journey and then you're thinking, no, too risky, going to opt out uh, of my workplace scheme, or whether you're my age and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I've had a big sharp drop in my portfolio. Shall I just completely change my strategy right now? or people at retirement or people in retirement. Obviously, people do, we're human beings and we tend to rush headlong where angels perhaps would fear to tread. Um, how can advisors and the financial services industry kind of get this message across? Like, don't make those knee-jerk reactions. Take time to consider. I mean, Robert, you, you've been in this game, game a while. You must have seen so many people make very sort of what they think are reasonable decisions that have turned out to be quite bad for them in the long term. It, there is always a risk that people make knee-jerk reactions in these situations. Um, and they will continue to do so, unfortunately. Um, but it's why the more we can, I think, encourage people to take, I think Rob and I are both in agreement, a sort of a total return approach, the more we can get people to begin to think about you know, the risk of, of planning, you've got to plan for the long term, and there are uncertainties there. 
the more we can encourage the younger generation to be, despite the movements they're going to get in that job market, despite the fact that they may have a lot more jobs in their career than we've ever had or expected to have, and that they are, whether they do it through company schemes or their own schemes, through SIPs, that they are they have that pension build up to get that capital base. Because the other thing we haven't mentioned is, again, whether whether in another 10, 20 years time, people are working four days a week, whether ironically, rather than pushing back the official retirement age, actually people more often are trying to retire at an earlier age. You know, the, the thing you need to do in your working life in those core years, 20 to 50 probably, is to be very sensibly building up that capital base. So it's there under any circumstance. Mm, absolutely. Robin, you were saying this earlier, isn't it? Get that sort of capital accumulation so you know what you're working I, with. I, I agree. And I, I think one of the challenges around pensions as a savings product, you know, when you consider it next to an ISA or whatever it happens to be, is that it's a long term product. You put the money in and, you know, you don't or you hope not to access it until you're kind of retired and much, much later in life. And so it becomes slightly more remote than an ISA where you know, if you accumulate some capital, if you have some decent returns, you can take that money out and you can spend it and you have greater flexibility. Asking people to put significant amounts of money aside, you know, for the future can be a hard thing to think about when you're in your early 20s. And, you know, you're, you're planning for something that might be 30, 40 years off. But it's obviously an incredibly important product and, and kind of ensuring that quality of life and that you can live as you want to in retirement. Is, is very, very important. And so I think the messaging around this and, and making sure that young people in a changing market, you know, focus on this and, and kind of set a decent foundation for their future is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've mentioned some really key words there. It is all about a journey. And I think we tend to focus on accumulation and decumulation. Um, and journalists do it as much as, uh, as anyone else, uh, as two sort of separate parts or two but they're, they're not even two sides of the same coin it's, it's a complete journey isn't it from the, the moment you start paying into the pension to to the moment you you draw your last breath this is your you should have a very nicely shaped smooth journey um over the long term the trend line should be going the right direction i mean the idea is that if you're on the right track as early as possible you will be able to maintain that standard later on in retirement but again it's getting people used to understanding what the total return journey means to them and how things shape and uh, I guess that's a lot of communication isn't it um, with the advisors with the clients with people in workplace pensions people on um, in auto enrollment pensions as well it's just trying to find that right way of communicating these um, these concepts to to people especially when they're afraid it, it, it is about finding the right way of communicating it but I, I still think today there are there is a default option which is to say in retirement in the decumulation phase you focus on income and i'm i am optimistic that one of the positives that comes out of this uh this covid 19 issue is that people are willing to to address it's interesting rob and i are both in agreement about total return concept that, that, that we shift to that that level of discussion about total returns rather than a, a focus on income um, and I think if, if that's one of the positives that comes out of it, then 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 good. But we need to build on that. Um, I'm not sure everyone is there yet. I think there's a lot of people who still, you know, the, it's always been income and therefore it's income in, in, in retirement. If we move to total returns, I think, and that smoother journey that you talked about, um, and the fact that, you know, some of us are, are minded to try and model it and all the rest of it, um, uh, and people are more open to to what 
what modeling can do and, and back to one of the very early questions about could we have foreseen what was happening you know mm -hmm. timing wise no i couldn't have foreseen it but but i but i absolutely knew something was happening will get to happen at some point in time and the fact that that doesn't matter and we don't go and tweak things and do the knee-jerk reaction uh, i think is all a positive and, and you know we, we are trying to to find the positives out of what has been a, a you know a, a, a pretty hard-hitting period of time over the last six months mm. robin yeah, you know, a smooth journey is obviously incredibly important, and that's what we all what all are aiming for. And I say, when you think about that total return approach, as the hunt for income becomes more and more difficult, then the inherent risks around eroding your capital as you chase that income become greater and greater. One of the themes that we talked about, and you know, or we've talked about significantly today, is is not taking knee-jerk reactions. It's not adding significant risk in unintended ways to your portfolio. And so I think if you can have a, a kind of focus on capital growth alongside a kind of sensible level of income where you can get it in kind of proper fashion, then it's just going to make people's journeys much, much smoother, um, especially in that kind of decumulation phase. Well, that's really, really helpful. Thank you uh, so much, Robin and Robert, for, for talking to us today. Um, it's very clear from what you're saying, there are so many factors that we need to consider when putting together a robust retirement plan, whether this is... 20-year-olds just starting out and trying to come to grips with uh, with everything around them or whether clients have already been starting to draw on their pension pots and maybe they maybe they need to rethink um, some of the old mantras about income. Um, thank you very much for, for talking to us and for providing us loads of food for thought and obviously while we don't have all the answers to everything that's happening in the world around us. I really hope that um, this podcast has given you, the advisors, um, some much needed food for thought as well. So it just remains for me to thank our guests, Robert and Robin, uh, to thank you also for listening and to thank Scottish Widows for supporting this podcast. Until next time, take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.